Hello, this is Brian Croft. I'm the senior pastor of Auburndale Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky. And I'm also the founder of Practical Shepherding. A few years ago, I started a blog about the daily work of a pastor, and that blog has grown into the various ministries of Practical Shepherding. We want to come alongside pastors who are laboring in the trenches of pastoral ministry to encourage and to equip them. And that's why we started this podcast, Trench Talk. So we hope this podcast encourages you and your church as we continue our conversation about the pastor's work. To find out more about Practical Shepherding, visit our website at practicalshepherding.com or you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Welcome to Trench Talk, a podcast by pastors for pastors. I'm your host, Josh Scher. In each of these episodes, we're examining an element of the pastor's ministry with a focus on the practical details of that work. During the first season of the show, we're taking a broad look at some of the basics with the intention to give a framework for practical ministry. That means that there are going to be some times in these early episodes where we will leave some stones unturned. We hope to get back to these at a later time. As you listen, if questions arise from our conversation or from your own experience, we want you to send those questions our way, and you can do that through the website, through Facebook, or Twitter. We would love to hear from you and possibly even use some of those questions for a question and answer episode in the future. On today's show, we're going to discuss how to perform a funeral. Our conversation partners bring a great deal of experience to this area, and I'll let them tell us about their experiences in a moment. Brian Croft and Scott Wells are both pastors of Auburn Hill Baptist Church. Brian is the founder of Practical Shepherding, and Scott is the executive director. Brothers, thank you both for being here. And I want to start by asking you to each just tell us, uh, tell us about your experience performing funerals. Both of you have had experience doing this with church, but also unique experiences outside of the church, but related to your ministry. So just tell us a bit about your experiences with, with performing funerals. And Brian, I want to ask you to go first. So as far as funerals in our church, I've had a lot of the elderly members of the church have passed away. And so most of the funerals have revolved around uh, people who have lived a long, faithful Christian life, um, who have been faithful members of the church for decades. And, and uh, there have been a couple, a few really hard funerals. Um, we lost a, a deacon who was beloved in the church, had a wife, two little kids. He was He was 40 years old and was killed in a car crash, and that was tragic and that just kind of affects the con- whole congregation for a long time and so those funerals uh, seem to bring a lasting impact long after the funeral as you're grieving yourself personally and as well but some of the older members that have that have died uh, have been really dear to me and have been very supportive and those have been hard funerals too as far as outside our church I, I partnered with a, a funeral home that's right next to our church about 10 years ago and just went to them and let them know that I'd be willing to help them if they needed somebody to come to a funeral with a family coming in and they didn't have anybody. And they took me up on that. I've easily done over 100 funerals in the last decade, uh, mostly funerals of non-Christians and most rooms full of non-Christians. So it's a great opportunity uh, for ministry. Okay. Thank you. Scott? Yeah, most of my most of my funerals are... Uh, are oriented more around uh, the military context in which I serve or so some folks who know me in regard to uh, just being a member of the clergy and they're in my neighborhood and they're unchurched or something along those lines. Um, consequently, probably half or a little bit more than half of the funerals that I've done 
have been for people who did not die of what we would say would be natural causes or, or older age. It would be younger people, soldiers who died. Um, so it's a little bit different trying to navigate through that than it would be someone who's lived a long and healthy life and uh, has children and grandchildren, maybe great-grandchildren, gathered at the funeral for that. Okay. I would say Scott has more experience dealing with even suicides and things than even I have because of just some of the difficulties and hmm. the different situations that he faces, that which are pretty unique funerals, hmm. difficult funerals to have to deal with. And some, one of the reasons I wanted to get this out front is because I want to come back to ask some of these questions directed at some of the unique experiences that you guys have had. Um, but the next thing I want to ask you is is to tell us what if you can remember what was your first funeral like. Uh, if you can remember, or just one of your early funerals, how how did you think through that first one? What was that process like, Brian? Well, I was able to attend several funerals. I was I, I was an associate pastor for eight years before I became a senior pastor, and so I was a part of a lot of different funerals and went to a lot of different funerals, but I wasn't the sole person responsible for it. So I got to watch a lot of, of funerals take place, and obviously I'm watching and trying to learn and certainly uh, wanted to really learn how to do this well when I became a a senior pastor. But a lot of the funerals that I went to, I was just really disappointed in how they were were handled. They were um, well-intentioned by those leading it, but it was was not well-balanced in the ways that I feel like it, it needs to be balanced. So when I did my first funeral, those bad experiences that actually pushed me to think through, okay, how do I really need to do this? And I went and sought counsel and help from those who had done it a long time and done it well and tried to learn how to think through it that way. So by the time I did my first one, I felt pretty equipped to do it, which is rare. Most guys find out they're doing their first funeral and then start thinking about how to do it. Okay. And uh, Scott, for you, uh, was your first funeral in the military as a chaplain? No, actually it wasn't. My first funeral was uh, the brother of my neighbor across the street. So that should tell you that it's, it was an unchurched family. Um, they called me because they knew I was uh, knew I was a minister, and I was the only minister they knew. So consequently, I did the funeral for them. It was uh, it was an interesting one. I remember sitting down with a family the day before we did the funeral, and I did not know this guy at all. So I'm trying to to glean some data in in, in the midst of also trying to comfort the family. So I have something to go home and, and put together a funeral sermon for, and I remember asking the gathered family there um, tell me something that you remember about uh, your your brother your your uncle and I'll never forget the first response it was that he loved fast horses and fast women that's not easy to incorporate into a funeral that'll preach <laughs> that will preach that's that a sermon title yeah and you know <laughs> given this is Louisville Kentucky uh, the fast horses make sense um, but we all chuckled about it um, took it home and I did the funeral for him the next day um, that was probably I'd say that was at least a decade ago and I have done a total of five funerals from for that family including hmm. uh, the wife who lived next door to me whose brother that was I've hmm. done that one as well hmm. so it kind of helped establish a relationship with a family that was unchurched I wish I could say we'd seen fruit from that in the church but uh, uh, none to this to this day hmm. Brian, the next question that I want to want to ask you, um, which is actually I think kind of tied to what Scott was just saying, I've heard you talk before about funerals as being one of those unique opportunities for ministry. There are things that 
opportunities that open up when you do a funeral that you may not otherwise have. Can you just describe and give some examples of what kinds of unique opportunities are open to a pastor who performs a funeral? Yeah. So I, I say that often because I think the two most significant places to do ministry is the hospital room and the funeral home. And I say that and, and kind of wave that flag a lot because I feel like in the younger generation of pastors, a lot of younger men are, are running from both of those places. And that's where some of the most unique ministry can be had. The unique ministry that, that I've experienced in funeral homes time and time again comes out of these families who are faced with death. So whether it's a Christian or non-Christian family, you cannot avoid the reality that death is present and near and affects our life. And so there's spiritual conversations that inevitably are able to take place every time you're in that situation versus life's kind of going and no real tragedy or crisis has happened and you begin to just deceive yourself. You're probably going to just live forever. Funerals just cut through all of that and it forces people to be confronted with the reality of death and, and certainly why, open opportunity to share why we need Christ. Yeah. And it seems like, just going back to Scott's story about his first funeral, that that's a time when people would be uniquely open to the getting letting a pastor get to know them and their family and can lead to opportunities for future ministry down the road as well. As we turn to think about actually doing a funeral, I want to ask this question. Um, what is the overarching goal in performing a funeral. So we think about going into the funeral home and there's a lot of different things that are going on, but what what's the mission? What are we hoping to accomplish, Brian? Yeah, so, and this is part of just working through seeing some, uh, seeing several funerals in my opinion that were just really out of balance. So there, I think there's two goals of the pastor when he does a funeral. The first is your job is to help that family grieve. And the best way to do that is to just allow them times to share about the deceased. Talk about what the person, who the person was and what they meant to them and the memories they have with them. To try to be a, just one that can facilitate that conversation. So even as I'm sitting with a family trying to, to hear about the person and the things they want me to share, especially if I didn't even know the person. And that's the only outlet I have to know who this person is and what they were like. To sit and let that family share those memories is actually part of the grieving process. You publicly standing up and, and celebrating that person's life on their behalf is a big part of the grieving process. And so that piece has is, is got to be there, as a, and that's essential. The other side is, is the spiritual component, though, and that's to make sure that the, the hope of Christ is made clearly known. So what happens, it gets out of balance when you have somebody who only celebrates the person's life. It doesn't talk about Jesus at all in that, key, that perfect time to talk about the gospel. But then you get, also get people who swing the other way and say, I'm just going to ram the gospel down their throat because this is a funeral and that's all they need. And they miss the, the component of needing to help these people grieve over the loss of this person. You helping them grieve over that person whom they dearly loved is what opens them to be able to actually receive the spiritual counsel and fruit you might bring through the word. So both of those things have to be present. Both have to be balanced in a funeral. All right. Uh, what are some? I want to. You've mentioned that you've seen some things out of balance. What What are some excesses that you think we can take, or that you've seen in a funeral? Things to avoid. Yeah. So I, I think those who want to just celebrate the life of the person, there are. I, I'm amazed time and time again, like <clears throat> pastors who do this all the time, uh, who will 
they will preach someone into heaven who, and they really don't have any um, evidence to do that. And yet, for some reason, they're okay doing that. And they, and even I've even gone and approached some of them, saying, "You and I both know this person. How did you allow yourself to just claim you think that they're in heaven when they didn't seem to really be a faithful follower of Jesus?" And many of them will say that that one, they're not God, and they don't know that's true. But they also think either way, regardless on what happened to that person, it's it's helpful to the family who remains for them to think that that person is actually okay and in heaven. And that that certainly speaks to just a general idea of our American culture of, of funerals, just regardless on any kind of goodness that person had or whatever, even people who aren't Christians will, will want to think of that person in heaven. So there's that temptation to preach them into heaven when, when they should not. Then there's the extreme, the other extreme where you get someone who isn't really feeling compassion for the person, but you know really likes to preach the gospel. And they'll go in and preach it without any sensitivity towards the, the grief and the sorrow that everybody's feeling. And to not do that in a sensitive and kind way uh, can be just as harmful as the one who doesn't even preach the gospel, in my mind. So that, that, those are the, the excesses on both sides. And, and we've got to find the middle ground of, of preaching the gospel clearly, but being compassionate and helping people grieve in the process. Thank you. So I want to I want you brothers to walk us through the pastor's role in a funeral. Um, but what I want you to do first is to just sketch out some of the basic elements of a funeral. Uh, you know, funerals might be different from situation <clears throat> to situation, but is there a typical structure that uh, a funeral would typically follow? What are some of the basic elements? I think there's some there's some typical content. Um, whether or not people put it together the same way, I would say is probably not the case. But you're going to have scripture readings. You're going to have prayer. Uh, there's typically going to be a funeral sermon in there of varying length. Uh, there's going to be an obituary. Um, and oftentimes those are going to be separate from a graveside service. And so then you have to ask yourself, what does a graveside service look like? And that, of course, is going to vary by things like weather conditions and things along those lines that you have to think about before you show up at the graveside before that happens. Uh, different people will put those things together in certain ways. I have a certain order that I typically follow, but I'm not, uh, I'm not uh, against readjusting that if someone wants to give a testimony about the deceased or someone wants some special music that they want to sing during that time. I, just, I try to keep certain elements in it, um, but be flexible with how that works. So do you have like a Word document with an order of service yeah, for a typical I do. funeral? Yeah, I do. And I've... I've saved every single one of them. And if you were to go back and look to them, you would see that uh, some of them have different orders, just depending mm-hmm. upon uh, how much time was allocated. If you've got someone who is really loved and, and they want a lot of people, there's a lot of people who want to speak at that funeral, um, that funeral can get very long. And uh, so you have to take that into into account. Sometimes you may have a funeral home that has another funeral scheduled after this one. And mm-hmm. so you have to think about how long is this funeral going to take. So when someone approaches you about a funeral, do you – go through some kind of order of service with them? Will you talk through, like, the, the document that you have? Or will you just, based on conversation with them, will you make adjustments accordingly? How do you use that? Mm-hmm. Um, I will typically sit down with the family uh, either the day before or two days before, depending on how much advance notice we have. And uh, I will go through a set of questions to try to, to glean information about the person if I don't know them well. And even if I do know them well, I want to get the families and friends' perspective on that as well. 
Um, I will ask them, is there anyone who wants to speak there? If they say, yes, there is, I, I will recommend that they write that out because sometimes people can get choked up. And if they get really uh, upset during that time, myself or a family member can step up and finish reading that for them. Um, I ask if anybody wants to do any special music. And based upon what I get back from them, I can then uh, look at my order of service and adjust it to make sure that it fits the time frames and everything kind of flows naturally. So it may not look the same every single time. It'll just mm-hmm. depend upon what uh, their desires are and what, what they want to have input on. Okay, thank you. Uh, I want to back up for just a second and ask you, brothers, how, and this is just going to show my, my own ignorance. I've, I haven't done a funeral yet, but how do you become the pastor who's doing a funeral? Um, is it an assumption that gets made, uh, or is I assume that there's some kind of conversation that happens. Are you wait to be approached by someone? Do you approach someone? How does that process work? Is there criteria that you use for saying yes or no in doing a funeral? Talk to us about how you actually become the one who's committed to doing the funeral. Yeah, that's actually a loaded question from my perspective because the typical thing that happens is if it's somebody who you know, you're the pastor of, of somebody and you know there's the two two church members their spouse dies usually that spouse will come to you maybe before they die if they're just slowly slowly dying and they're almost and they're almost to the end there that they'll come to you and say already say like I want you to do the funeral or when once somebody has died that that somebody the family will immediately come and say I want you to do the funeral um, a lot of times the funeral home takes the initiative once they meet with a family and they say they want you to do it and then the funeral home will call you or, of course, if I'm doing funerals for the funeral home, and I don't know the, the, I mean, I don't even know a funeral's happening until they call me and say, "Can you come help us with this funeral?" So it, it just depends. Where I have, where it's become tricky for me is when in, in some of the more difficult years in our church, where there would be a, a church member who passed away who who wasn't uh, all happy with me as the pastor at that point. So then it becomes interesting. You try to, you, you almost kind of wait to see, am I going to get asked for this funeral? And if I get asked for this funeral, how am I going to handle this funeral? And uh, if I don't get asked, then how am I going to handle, I mean, in, if you're the pastor of the person, but they intentionally go ask somebody else, you can certainly, um, it can certainly feel like a, a rejection of wanting to care for people. I've had a few situations where I've wanted to go to the hospital when somebody's on their deathbed or even be able to do the funeral of somebody. And because the family was upset with me, they actually would not let me go. And so there's a few dear folks in the church I actually wanted to go say goodbye to, and the family forbid me to go there. So those are particularly hard. So it's usually the initiative of the family or the funeral home. But if you're the pastor, you usually just sit back and wait till you're asked. If you're not asked, you assume that's not what you're the role you're to play. So you would defer to the family and honor their wishes. You pretty much have yeah. to. I mean, it's not it's not your call as a pastor. I mean, it's the family's call, and I, it's it's wise to to just sit back and let them make those decisions. In many cases, the family will want your input as the pastor, and they may even say, you know, we want you to do the funeral. Help us even think through how to do that. That's typical, I think, in a church where you're a pastor is loved and supported by his congregation. Scott, anything to add to that? Uh, In a military context, if you're doing that person's funeral, that most of the time means that they don't have a pastor, they don't have a church. And so given that being the case, um, I always try to to make sure that they understand that I'm available uh, to do do a funeral if they need me to. But I, of course, leave it up to them. 
Okay. Thank you. Uh, given the nature of funerals, uh, there's often a short amount of time to prepare. How do you leverage that time and use it well? Um, do you have a pre-written sermon that you will modify and make adjustments to? Do you write new sermons? Um, what do you do with that short amount of time to prepare? Yeah, so th- that is the trick with funerals and why one of the reasons, I mean, I just want to advocate whoever's listening to this to make sure you think through how you're going to do a funeral before you're called for your first one. Because you basically have two days to figure out what you're going to do. Um, I have a t- general template of several sermons of texts that I think work well at funerals. And I'm able to usually go to those and use that as a skeleton, at least, in putting a funeral together. If I'm doing a funeral for somebody I didn't know, then I pretty much do the same sermon that I think works the best. I preach John 11, because it's the best text. It's a narrative about Jesus' life and how even a moment he was grieving at the tomb of Lazarus and yet proclaims he's the resurrection and he's the life. So it's an opportunity to help people to talk about grief and yet to talk about to talk about the gospel. So... Um, probably the overwhelming majority of the funerals I've preached have been John 11. When I do a church member's funeral, though, I'll put a, more thought into it and something that might uniquely fit that particular individual. Um, and there's been several occasions of that. So in those couple of days, you're working on your sermon. And then to tie back to something Scott said earlier, or you're, meet, you're meeting with the family to discuss uh, desires that they might have, the order of service and things like that. Mm-hmm. And also to care for them. In the midst yeah. of that, and you can accomplish those at the same time while you're there, uh, trying to comfort them, but also trying to glean information about the person if you don't know them well. Yeah, if you're doing a funeral for somebody you don't know and you've been asked to do that funeral, meeting with the family is the only information you're going to get, other than the written obituary, to know who that person is and to be able to talk at all about their life from somebody else's uh, standpoint. If it's a church member, somebody you love and know, you're going to want to be there and meet with them. There's been times I've met with the family and gone through my process of letting them tell me what they want shared about the person that had died, even though I knew the person really well and didn't hear anything necessarily new. Again, it's still a good part of the grieving process to get the family together and let them have that conversation. And if you do that well, it makes a huge impact on the family. Yeah, it really does. They will say something to you along the lines of, it was almost as if you knew the person. Well, that that comes because they were telling you what they loved about that person. That's how you learned about them. What should what are some basic things a funeral ser- sermon should say? A f- the funeral sermon? Yeah, the sermon itself. So I would assume it'd be tied to the mission in some way. But what are some of the basic things you want to have in a funeral sermon? Yeah, so I think to draw an dis- important distinction, there's there's a eulogy or, or obituary or a eulogy depending on the term used, that's specifically talking about the individual, you know, the the accomplishments and the things you want to celebrate about that person's life. It's a longer version a lot of times of what you might find in the newspaper about them. And you're giving that? What typically, if you're, I will do it all, but sometimes, you know, you may have others involved in the service. If they have another pastor they want involved, a lot of times you can break it up that way. Okay. So, but that's separate, usually towards the beginning. Again, there's really no rules for this, and that's what's important. Just to there's a freedom to talk to the family what they want, but it's good to have a template like Scott mentioned. The eulogy is usually at the beginning, talking about the person's life and those kind of things. The funeral sermon I separate as the part where I'm dealing with a specific text. I, I say we're going to we're going to consider what the Bible teaches about death and about how we find hope in the midst of death, and I will focus solely on a text, whatever it may be. 
in that sermon, though, I will have moments where I will talk about the deceased, especially when I'm giving an exhortation to to grieve and how to do that. If it's somebody in the church I knew really well, and I could, and I want to mention certain aspects of their life, that's also a good time to weave that into the sermon. But the sermon is supposed to be the time where you you give them God's word and the hope of what we have in Christ in the in the face of death, and uh, it's uh, but it's usually shorter than most people think. How long is the sermon? Yeah, typically. Well. Obviously, there's a lot of opinions on this, but I have a strong opinion that my, my funeral sermon is 10 minutes long. And the typical... You want to say that again? My funeral sermon <laughs> is 10 minutes long, sitting with two men who know I preach 40 to 45 minutes every Sunday morning. So it's not that I'm not committed to preaching. It's that this particular occasion, um, saying, li- saying a lot with little time is most meaningful. People are grieving heavily. I mean, they didn't bring their Bibles like they're coming to a Sunday morning service. You need to have a few nuggets of just wonderful truth that for them to maybe remember. Keep it simple and and not make it long and drawn out. So a few, typical funeral service for me is 20 to 30 minutes to 45 minutes. You get into the hour, hour and a half long funeral sermon or funeral service. And anybody who's been in that service knows that it starts to feel really long even exasperating because then you're usually about to go to the gravesite on top of that afterwards. Mm-hmm. People have had usually one to two days of visitation. That ten minute sermon is trying is is the context of that is where people are at usually at that point in the process of grieving. Is it appropriate to call the unconverted to repent and believe in a funeral sermon? Sure. Yeah. I th- I think you have to. I mean I think you have to to be faithful to that other element of of preaching the gospel clearly, because repenting and believing is part of that. The John 11 text also allows you to, that's why I love the text so much, is Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. Then he says, do you believe this? He actually asks this rhetorical question that you can then turn around on the people who are sitting there and it's like, do you believe this? And so it allows you a chance to call people to repent and believe. And then I, I challenge in that way, and then you just kind of leave it hanging. So you know, uh, I would if you're somebody who does altar calls in church normally, please don't do an altar call at a funeral. I, I've, I've, ne- I've never seen it done well, and it usually causes a, a major distraction from what the, the funeral is, is supposed to be about ultimately. So you want to be faithful to the gospel. You want to call people to repent and believe, but, but be sensitive to the moment of what's going on there. It's different, I think, in that way than like a normal Sunday morning sermon. Uh, what do you do right after you preach the sermon? Um, do you go sit down? Do you leave? Do you stand? What, what, what do you do after you preach the sermon? It, of course, depends on the structure and the order of how you set it up. Um, typically, uh, my funeral sermon is toward the end of the service, and so I'll be closing out with prayer, and then I'll go stand by the head of the casket. Uh, whoever the ushers are will go to the back of the room, and then start having people come forward so they can pay their final respects. Sometimes people will come by and shake your hand on the way out. Uh, it just varies depending on where you're, where the casket is located and where the exits are. Okay. Uh, talk us uh, through the graveside. What, what do you do at a graveside service? Well, again, some, my opinion is that graveside services should also be very short. And one, one of the things, again, when I was just watching funerals <clears throat> and attend, being a part of them, 
just the way it made me feel to, to come from a long funeral service and go right into a really long graveside. Um, so five to ten minutes on a graveside, um, reading scripture and praying there, um, final words, whatever you want to say, and, and then I think that's that's plenty. There may be, you know, obviously military, there's, there's some process that, that Scott can talk about that even makes that graveside longer. And so you just got to keep all in mind if it's so if it's a it's a veteran that died and, and you're going to go to a military graveside and there's going to be more things going on there. You need to be mindful of that. But the, the really the three parts of the funeral is the funeral itself. Then you have the, the, the leading to the cars and, and going out and the pastor actually when you're done with the sermon, I mean, you you wait for everyone to really to be dismissed, depending on the process of the funeral home. And then you're the one that's taking that casket to the car, to the to the hearse. Huh. You're the one that gets in the hearse. The reason the pastor is in the front of the procession because it um, he's the one that is taking, in a sense, the deceased to the grave. It's a very weighty thing symbolically. If you really realize what's going on, and, the, that, and when you say taking the casket to the hearse, meaning you're walking in front of it as they're pushing it. Yeah, so you're yeah. Dri- you're first in the car. You're usually very first in the line to drive to the graveside, and then when you pull up, then the pastor goes and stands and waits for the uh, for the pallbearers to, to come and stand and grab the the casket and then you lead the casket to where the burial is. I mean it is a it is a very powerful thing to see and experience symbolically. That's when you asked my first funeral, that's what I remember the most about it was the weightiness of this moment that I'm responsible to commend this body to the ground. And if it's a believer to to commend it to the ground until Jesus returns and our bodies are raised uh, so, yeah, weighty spiritual things happening as you as you do all those things. And are you preaching another short sermon type thing there, or what are you saying? I'm typically not. Typically, no. I'm, I'm reading a a short passage of Scripture. If anything, after that, a very brief exhortation, no no more than less than a minute in uh, concluding prayer. Um, the one caveat would be every once in a while, I've seen one where they did not have a funeral service at a church uh, or at a funeral home, and they did everything at the graveside. I, I had the privilege once of doing a funeral for a man who had died 61 years earlier in the Korean War. And uh, they had discovered his remains and positively identified him. So we did a funeral service at the graveside. Now, it was about... It was about 37 degrees outside. It was cold, but that was the only service we had. And it was full military honors with, uh, um, with an honor guard, with a 21-gun salute. And it was very, very meaningful. Um, but I tried to make that service as concise and as quick as possible so that people weren't uncomfortable. At the same time, trying, trying to, to let the gravity of the situation uh, weigh heavily on us at that moment. Those are few and far between, though. Most of the time, you're going to do something at a church or a funeral home before you go to the cemetery. By the way, if you go to practicalshepherding.com and go to the blog and search for just that that funeral, like 61-year-old, we actually wrote about it because it was one of the most unique situations that I had ever heard of. And so I asked Scott to write a post if you want to read more about that. That's what where that came from. But you, you have to keep weather in mind. And there have been several gravesides that I have done the whole service there. And I usually, it's usually abbreviated from what I normally do, but you just have to be flexible with funerals because you can plan it all out and you probably in your prep didn't, didn't take into consideration the family that had a fist fight in the middle of the funeral home right before the yep. funeral 
or the, the spouse that is grieving so that, that is falling on the casket, sobbing, and you can't get her to her seat to start the funeral. You just got to be flexible with funerals and, and ask God for, for wisdom as you enter into them. Well, brothers, it sounds like we need to have another episode about this sometime. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and insights on this. Scott, will you pray that God would work through pastors performing funerals to help the bereaved to grieve appropriately and find mm-hmm. hope in Jesus? Yeah. Father, we thank you for the great privilege and the great responsibility that you have laid upon us as pastors and ministers of the gospel to bring comfort to the families of those who have lost loved ones. Death happens to all of us, even those who don't want to think about their own mortality. And we pray that you would give us wisdom to know how to speak truth into their lives and do so in a, in a loving manner and a way that points to Jesus Christ, our Savior. We pray that you would help us to honor not only the deceased, but also you, the one who gives life and the one who takes it away. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Trench Talk. We'd love to hear your feedback or any questions you might have for us. So to get in touch with us, you can email us at brian at practicalshepherding.com or you can contact us through Facebook or Twitter. You can find out more about Practical Shepherding at our website. At the website, you can find our blog and you can also find information about articles and books that we've published. You can also find out information about our regional workshops where we engage pastors face-to-face to equip them for the trench work of ministry. So until next time, may the God of peace, the great shepherd of the sheep, equip you as you labor in the trenches of pastoral ministry.